0: Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is from Matthew chapter five, the very last verses of Matthew chapter five. And so the very last verses of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I wanna invite you to open up your Bibles or devices to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna read verses 43 through 48. Jesus speaking here says, You have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 2016, what did not exist was this faith family, this Christian community. But what did exist were 10 families. 10 families that lived in Spotsy, Fredericksburg and Stafford who were all attending a wonderful church way up in Woodbridge and they said we'd like to start a church here. And so when I moved here, one of the very first things I did was get together and meet those 10 families. And I have so many fond memories, wonderful memories of meeting many of you for the very first time, but there's one thing that has stuck at the top of my mind. Each time I visited those 10 families, I asked the exact same question. I said, what kind of church do you want to start here? And each family, each in their own way, said the exact same thing. We want to start a church where anyone can feel like they can belong. We want to start a church that isn't just a place you go to on Sunday morning, but it's a place made up of people that you can live out your faith with Monday through Saturday. We want to start a church that's not just a friendly church, but a church made up of friends Over the past couple of years, I've gotten to know those 10 families just a little bit more as well as many other families, and so have you. And one incredible thing is just three years into starting this church, I think it's safe to say you can step back and you can say that in so many ways, the church that you hope to build is the church that we have here. I know that I've told you this before, But I'll tell you again, can I tell you one of my very favorite things about being a pastor at this church? It's getting to watch you. It's getting to watch all of you before and after church on Sunday mornings. I love watching you as you come in and you greet one another with handshakes and hugs, smiles and warm greetings. I love it because it is nothing less than the love of Christ and the light of Christ shining brightly and illuminating this place. but not everyone sees what I see. And not everyone experiences what you experience. It's true that more than one family has said to me respectfully, Pastor, I love our church, but sometimes I feel, well, like we're a little clicky. More than one family has visited our church once, twice, three times, and four times, and then I haven't seen them for a while. When I finally get to connect them, I ask them how we can serve them, how we can be a blessing to them. And they say, Pastor, church is great and all, I, I just didn't connect with anyone there. So which is it? As a Christian community, are we close Or are we clicky? Well, lies at the heart of this is an understanding and and really oftentimes a misunderstanding of what the Bible calls friendship and what the Bible teaches us about fellowship. In order to avoid so much misunderstanding, so much oftentimes hurt, drama, miscommunication, would be understanding not only what friendship is and what fellowship is, but how that looks in a place like this, in a community, a Christian community like this. Understanding friendship and understanding fellowship is important. Can I share with you a quote? The quote is from a pastor, a Lutheran pastor. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And if you haven't heard about him before, one pretty cool fact about him is he was a part of an assassination attempt on Hitler. Pretty wild thing for a pastor to do. Just imagine if you were in his church and you happen to miss church on Sunday. But this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to say about this concept of, of friendship and fellowship. He said, the one who wants more than what Christ has established does not want Christian brotherhood. He's looking for some extraordinary social experience, which he has not found anywhere else. What this pastor is saying is that if you come to church and you expect to walk in the doors the very first time and walk out with 10 BFFs, best friends forever, well, I hate to burst your bubble, but is that really what Christ set up his church to be? Did Christ really encourage and empower and then command his disciples, his followers to go, to go and love everybody so very, very much that you all hang out together every single Friday night. You all stand up in one another's wedding and carry one another's caskets. Well, no. If you come to church and you expect that you're gonna find here your own entourage of best friends, you might leave disappointed. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind as we look at another quote, a quote from an author and Christian who wrote a book on friendship and fellowship named David Horn. He offers another perspective on the concept of fellowship and friendship. He writes this. He says, the oft times freely swinging barn door of relationships that we have in our church today suggests that Christian's might not fully take seriously the implications of the fact that Jesus calls to love one another is first and foremost, a divine command. What David Horn is asking is why is it that people so easily connect and then disconnect? Why is it that people sit down with pastor, meet him, get excited to join the church and six months later, you wonder where they are. Why is it that some people take a Bible class, get to the very end, and then you never see them again? Why is it that some people come to church and then leave as soon as they, and as quick as they get here? Why is it Why is it that the Christian church is supposed to be this really powerful, really different place than any other organization and any other group on the face of this earth, and yet people come and go and leave and stay or don't like a swinging barn door? Why is it that so many people come here and and don't find what they're looking for in Jesus's church? What David Horn suggests is that it's Christian's. It's Christians, people who, who have found friendship, who have found fellowship here, don't take seriously and, and don't realize that there is a divine command, a divine command to love others. And So it's that tension. It's that tension between friendship and fellowship and, and what those mean that I'd like us to explore today. But more than understand, more than define, and more than know what it looks like to practice both Christian friendship and Christian fellowship, what I wanna do is, again, take a look at our best friend. Take a look at our best friend, our best friend Jesus, who, if he can teach us anything, and he most certainly can, we will know that we can be a stronger Christian church and a stronger Christian community. So let's start by asking this, WWJD, what would Jesus do, or, or better yet, what did Jesus do when it came to friendship and when it came to fellowship? Because you know, 2,000 years, Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He was true God, and yet he became true man, and he walked here among real people, which means he had real conversations, real interactions with these real people, and therefore he had real relationships and he had real friendships when Jesus Christ started out his earthly ministry, he came and, well, it was red hot. He turned water into wine. He made people who couldn't walk, walk, people who couldn't see, see. He fed 5,000 people who all gathered around him to listen to him teach and preach. He had thousands and thousands of people come to see him and hundreds of people follow him. And yet, at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus didn't spend his time with all thousand of those people. Look here, Mark chapter 3 says this, that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them, he gave the name Boeranges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Elpheus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Thousands and thousands of people came to hear Jesus preach and teach. Hundreds of people followed him. And yet, who did Jesus choose to spend his time with? It was 12 men. It was 12 men that we call the apostles. Remember, throughout this sermon series, our working definition for a friend is a preferred companion, somebody whose company you prefer and you choose. And the Son of God chose to spend his time with just a few. And it was good, because it was Jesus, who is perfectly God and perfectly good, doing this. What's even more fascinating? He didn't even spend all of his time with those 12 evenly. Jesus preferred the company and the companionship of of three close friends at a really amazing point in Jesus' ministry where a, a father came to Jesus and said, my, my young daughter is sick and she's about to die, and Jesus is about to do a really amazing miracle and make her well and alive again. Watch what Jesus does. In Mark 5, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Remember the three guys that Jesus gave nicknames to when he listed the disciples? He called Simon and said he's gonna call him Peter. He said to James and John that I'm gonna give you the names, the nickname, Sons of Thunder. Jesus had friends. He had friends that he gave nicknames to and he had friends that he gave his time mostly to. And this wasn't a unique thing. I'm gonna show you it, it happened again and again. It wasn't unique that he spent his time with Peter, James, and John. We know of nowhere else in scripture where he took just Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thaddeus. But again and again, he does this with his friends. Look, Mark 5, Jesus at another very incredible moment in his ministry, excuse me, in Mark 9, where he's about to be transfigured, where he is going to be completely in all of his glory and be there with Moses and Elijah, where he's gonna reveal himself as the true God to people, who does he take? All hundreds of his followers? The 12? Not even, just three. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Jump ahead, one more. To the night that he was betrayed. The lesson we read earlier in worship. And what does Jesus do? Jesus and the 12 apostles went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. It's fascinating to me that there in front of all 12 Apostles, Jesus doesn't wait till he had private time with just his three friends to invite him, them to come with him. No, they're in front of all of them. Jesus shows he's, he's true man. Not only was he deeply hurting and deeply sorrowful and needing his guys, he was open about it. He was honest about it and said, I need you three to come and be with me during this difficult time. So what does this teach us? What is the really interesting and really fascinating way about how Jesus dealt with relationships and dealt with friendships teach us about friends? Well, first of all, it's this. Here's our first fill-in-the-blank for the day. If you're taking notes online or on your device, it's this, that friendship with a few is not a sin. Friendship with just a few people is not a sin, It's not wrong to have one, two, or three people that you are particularly close with. In fact, it's not just not a sin, it's Christ-like. Christ, who is perfectly God and perfectly man, who is perfect in any way and was kind, compassionate, and caring to anybody and everyone, also just had a few close friends. He had a few people in his life who he spent the majority of his time with And that's really okay. We know that friendship includes a few. Our definition for friendship is a few preferred companions. And after all, it just makes sense. Practically, Jesus couldn't and you can't hang out with a thousand people all equally all the time. And so having a few friends is not a sin. So what does this mean for you and me? What does this mean for a church that doesn't just merely want to be a friendly church, but wants to be a church made up of friends. Well, first of all, it means this. If you and I prefer one another's company, that's okay. But if you are, for example, having a party and don't want to invite me, that's okay too. Here's what would not be okay. If I was so insecure, if I was so envious and jealous of that, that I somehow made you feel bad for that. That would not be okay. And so what we need to do for myself, yourself, or anybody, who, whoever feels envious or jealous or left out, we need to tell them about their best friend, their best friend, Jesus, you see, so often in life, the devil is going to come and he, he's going to whisper lies to you. He's going to whisper lies that no one likes you. No one wants to be your friend. No one wants to hang out with you. You are such a loser. But nothing could be further from the truth. You are baptized. And the fact that you are baptized means that you are never alone and that you always have your best friend Jesus with you all the time. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 14. We got to read it last week. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And then your best friend went to the cross. He did just that. He laid down his life for you and he picked it up again for you and he calls you my friends. And before your friend, your best friend Jesus went up to heaven, he said this to you, he promised this to you, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. One of the coolest parts about being a baptized son or daughter of God is that you always have someone to talk to. You have always someone to walk with. You have someone who always wants to be by your side, someone who is always with you, someone who prefers your company, someone who prefers your companionship so much that they proved it to you by suffering and dying and rising so that you would be with them, so that you would be in their company forever. What does this mean for our church? Well, it means that you and I need to support, encourage, and lift up Christian friendship because there is something truly beautiful about them. We can't stop there. We can't stop with friendship. We can't stop with you hanging out with your circle of friends, you hanging out with yours, and, and me hanging out with mine. Because if we did, We wouldn't be any different than any other group in the world, middle school, your workplace, or anything like that. We need to keep going. We need to keep going and listen as Jesus teaches us about another form of relationships, talking about fellowship, something that Jesus actually says is higher and stronger and deeper than even friendship. You might be saying, wait a second, How is friendship better, excuse me, I got that backwards. How is fellowship better than friendship? I mean, after all, how are my church friends, and they're great and all, better than the deep bond of my best friend? Well, imagine this. Imagine there is a scale from one to ten, a scale that you could rank your relationships on. and and one is your worst enemy. It is the person who, to put it nicely, you don't prefer their company. You don't prefer their companionship. In fact, you avoid it. And then 10, of course, is your best friend. This is the person whose company you prefer all the time, who you always wanna be around no matter what. As you look at that scale, where would you rank your best friend and where would you rank your church friends? I think most often, the way we think about this is our best friends are, of course, an eight, a nine, maybe even a ten. And our church friends, as wonderful as they are, are maybe closer to a eight or a seven, but probably more like a six. But think about this. How is phileo love the the type of love that the bible uses to describe friendships like phileo philadelphia the friendship that is based on camaraderie and commonalities how is phileo love ranked higher than agape love agape unconditional all inclusive love that the bible uses to describe fellowship We have it biblically backwards. How amazing and how wonderful would it be to love people who maybe aren't your best friends? How incredible would it be to care about people and have other people care about you, even if they're not the people that you grew up with? How incredible and how wonderful would it be to Open wide your arms and embrace and welcome in people into your life, people who you're not going to hang out with every Friday night, who didn't stand up in your wedding, and who may not carry your casket. How incredible is it to love with that all-inclusive, unconditional love, the type of love that God loved us with? Listen to this. What is the unique thing about the Christian church? It's not phileo love. It is not friendship. Friendship is not what makes the church unique. There are plenty of people outside of the church who have friends and who are good friends to one another. What makes the Christian church unique is fellowship. It's agape love. Nowhere else but inside the church do people know about and experience the love of Christ and the fellowship that he brings us into. So what does this mean for us? Well, before we said this, before we said that while friendship with a few is not a sin, fellowship with many is a blessing to many. That's our next fill in the blank. And actually that's our challenge to us. Go back to Matthew chapter five and think about what he said and and what we just read. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you catch what Jesus is saying? What Jesus is saying is that if you like only those who like you or you like those who are only alike with you, how different are you than everyone else ever? How different are you than those who don't know Jesus' agape love, the fellowship that he brings us into. Even pagans, even people outside of the church who don't know anything about God, who don't know anything about Christ's love, they do that. They show friendship to one another. You don't need to know about God to know about friendship. What Jesus is doing is calling us to a higher love. What Jesus is doing is challenging us to love with love like God an even greater love than anything that you or I know except in Christ. This is what we said before. While friendship with a few is not a sin, this is our next fill in the blank. And really the challenge for all of us, fellowship with many is a blessing for many. Friendship is wonderful it's a blessing that you get to share and and you get to share it with probably a few people. But fellowship, fellowship is for many and it blesses many people because when we as Christians open wide our arms and welcome in everyone who walks through those doors, we get to be a blessing to many and be blessed by many as well. What does this mean? What does this mean for a Christian church that wants to be more than just a friendly church, but a church of friends? Well, it means that you and I have to know and we get to know the love of Christ, the agape fellowship love of Christ. But it means we also must show that love to others. Ah, it means we get to. We get to show that love to others. And why? It's because Christ loved us that way. Think about this. How many of you, when you were born, were immediately best friends with Jesus? How many of you were conceived and conceived into the very close circle of God's friends? The truth is, none of us, On a scale from one to 10 of being friends with God, we were less than zero. We were in the negative. We were enemies of God. We were so far from him because our sinful nature separated us from God. And yet, how did Christ act towards us? Did Christ look at us and say, ooh, you? No, unholy, unbelieving, unspiritual people. They make me uncomfortable. No, Jesus went so far to show his love for us that he did something that was even the most uncomfortable. Jesus died for us, all to bring us into fellowship with him. I think of these amazing words from Ephesians chapter two. There it says, remember that at that time, the time where you were not a Christian, Remember at that time, you were separated from Christ without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It was the blood of Christ. It was the open arms, the outstretched arms of Christ that brought us in and welcomed us in to fellowship with him, who brought us in to know agape love with him. It's a beautiful thing. It's also a difficult thing. It's going to be a difficult thing for us to show, especially those of you who are quieter and right after church want to run and huddle together close with the friends you know quite well or to run all together. But it's something we must show. It's something we get to show because Christ showed us that love. Because Christ did that for us, we'll never be without hope, we'll never be without a God, and we'll never be without a friend. Because Jesus was more than just into phileo, friendship, love. He was into agape, fellowship, love. And because of that, he's brought us forever into himself. He's brought us into him and and us in him. and, And therefore, we will never not be in fellowship with God. We will always have him. And we'll get to experience the joys and the blessings of that. We're calling this sermon... Friendship and Fellowship. It's not the most original title. (laughs) Can I tell you what I really, really wanted to call this sermon? I wanted to call this sermon, Lord of the Friends and Fellowship of the Cross. I mean, you get it? I really thought it'd be awesome to have a play on the Lord of the Rings and the very first title in that series, The Fellowship of the Rings. I thought it'd be great. You know, you get it, right? Because we have a Lord who had friends and he's the friends of us. And because of that, we get to experience the fellowship of the cross, all of us, with God and each other with him. You guys get it, right? the title got nixed, so instead what I thought I'd do this morning as we wrap up is maybe tell you about a friendship that really would have appreciated that title. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord Lord of the Rings, he was a devout Christian. He was a devout Christian who understood fellowship and understood friendship, and he understood the importance of both. He understood the order of both And he reflected that in his friendship with his fellow famed author, C.S. Lewis. When Tolkien and Lewis met one another in 1926 in Oxford, England, during some afternoon tea with a bunch of professors, the two couldn't have been more different. Tolkien, as I said, was a devout Christian. Lewis, on the other hand, was an atheist. Immediately, they made a little friendship with one another over common interests, the interest of stories and literature. But Tolkien didn't stop there. He knew about a higher love, an agape fellowship love, and he kept showing this to C.S. Lewis. Over many long walks and late-night talks, C.S. Lewis eventually got to know the Jesus of the Bible as his best friend and more importantly, his savior. Reflecting on their relationship with one another, C.S. Lewis said this about Token. He said, "'Token was the immediate human cause "'of my own conversion to Christianity. "'Is any pleasure on earth as great "'as a circle of Christian friends by a good fire?' "'Is there any other pleasure on earth "'as great as a group of Christian friends?' You know, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, their their friendship is is quite celebrated in academic and literary circles today. A lot of people study their friendship, and it's almost like if they understand the the literary power and prowess and the brilliance of these men, that somehow we'll be better friends. <laughs> but make no mistake about it. It wasn't just stories that brought these men together, it was something deeper. It was faith and it was fellowship. In a way, it was stories. It was the old, old story of which all stories point to the best friend, Jesus Christ. My friends and my fellows, may that same love, that same agape love of Jesus Christ and that same story about his love bring you deeper and deeper and point you more and more to the fellowship that you have with him and also the fellowship that you share with so many others, amen.